Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Great. Happy Memorial Day. Hold it close. Is that close enough? There you go. All right. Pastor's telling me, hold it close. Hold it close. Can you hear me now? Sort of, maybe a little bit. All right. Great. I, I am so thrilled to be back with you guys again today, and it is my joy and honor to be here. We sure love your pastors so much, and they have been such tremendous sources of encouragement and blessing towards us, and I count Pastor Les as just a dear friend. Not only that, he is my prayer partner. We pray together regularly, and I'm so thankful and grateful to have someone who uh, stands with me uh, in prayer so regularly. Um, this is actually my first time here at this location. I love the, what God is uh, doing here. There is such a special sense of God's presence and God's uh, spirit among us today. And I think that that is indicative of what uh, God wants to do uh, among us today. Uh, my wife sends her greetings. Uh, she was unable to be here today. She wasn't feeling the greatest, so she's getting some rest. And But Pastor mentioned uh, her artisan company, KBB Design. If you are an artistic person or you're interested in bracelets or earrings or bags or wallets that would empower local artisan communities of women in East Africa that we are helping to lift out of poverty, there's a small little setup back there. You can come and talk to me once service is over today. Pastor mentioned a little bit about our ministry. I won't go into it too much, but man, it's just been such an amazing thing to see what God has been doing these last five years. We just crossed the 120 church mark. We've planted 120 churches in five years. So we we thank God for that. And I think we now have 20 elementary schools. That represents about 1,000 schools, that 1,000 kids that are getting education on a uh, daily basis uh, in both Kenya as well as in Burundi. And our vision has always been to plant the local church. So the schools are on the property of the local church. And from there... Uh, we are able to reach out into the community. And as Pastor said, you guys have been instrumental in supporting our ministry. So I just want to say thank you so much for doing that. To God be the glory. Are you ready to look at the word together this morning? Awesome. We are going to look at the book of Acts. We are going to pick up a story in Acts chapter 8. It is one of my favorite stories Uh, When pastor asked me if I would be willing to come preach, this is the only passage of scripture that just kept coming back into my heart and into my spirit. And so I believe this is what the Lord would have me to share with you guys this morning. We are going to pick this up in verse number 26 and read through verse number 40. This is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. The word of God says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road. That goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of Kandake. Kandake means queen of the Ethiopians. So right away we know that this man is a royal official. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So he asked him a question. Do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. 
Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is always anointed. We thank you that, Lord, that anointing brings truth and application and revelation and transformation to our lives. We pray this now in Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people said together, Amen. Amen. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about this idea of obedience, evangelism, and the nations. Obedience, evangelism, and the nations. Now, some of you came to church looking for something a little bit more academic and a little bit more meaty. So I came up with a secondary title uh, for all of you who are academically inclined. That title is Missiological Momentum for Ecclesiastical and Evangelistic Expansion. But that's probably a little bit too deep for what we want to do on a Sunday morning. Would you agree with me? Amen. All right. So can we stick with obedience, evangelism in the nations? I see some thumbs up. I see some claps. Thank God, because I didn't want to preach that message anyways. That was a little bit uh, too much there. Now, I think this passage of scripture is really instrumental to what God wants to do here in this church moving forward. And the context for this passage is really important. And I think that it's uh, important that we take a moment just to set this up. You can read this later, but in the uh, introductory part of Acts chapter 8, we're going to discover that Philip is actually leading a revival. And the revival is so tremendous that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is going to state it this way in verses 6 through 8 in the Amplified. Great crowds of people with one accord listened to Philip and heeded what he said. And as they heard him and watched the miracles and wonders which he kept performing, many evil spirits came out of many who were possessed by them and screaming and shouting with a loud voice. And many who were suffering from palsy or were crippled were restored to health. And there was great rejoicing in that city. I mean, this was a happening move of God. This was a tremendous revival. This was spiritual awakening. This was hundreds, if not thousands coming into the kingdom. This was a touch of God. How many of you are thankful for revival? How many of you are thankful when God? stretches out his arm and intervenes in a desperate situation that seems impossible, right? Amen. To God be the glory. We all love those moments. We all love those seasons. We all love those experiences when God draws near, when his presence is amongst us, when his breath releases his word, when transformation is taking place. And yet what is interesting to me about this passage is that right in the thick of it, right in the heart of spiritual awakening, suddenly it's like the Lord pushes pause on Philip's life and says, I know you think that revival is what I have called you to for the rest of your life, but I actually have a different assignment for you. Now, this is really interesting to me because we started off this passage saying that an angel of the Lord came and spoke to Philip and said, I want you to go south on the road towards Gaza. 
And so the angel's speaking to him, and the angel is taking him out of revival into something else. Now, push pause for a moment, because for many of us, if you're like me, man, I am ready to camp out in the glory. I am ready to stay seated and soak in as much of God's presence as I possibly can. I want to be in the thick of it. I want to be right where the Spirit is moving and working, and to think or to imagine God saying, hey, Stephen, leave that place. And go out into the desert is no. not an easy thought. No. And I would suggest that that's probably the same for most of you. It's not an easy thing to begin to think, wait a minute, you don't want me just to stay in the revival for the rest of my life? And I think that what begins to emerge from this passage very clearly is this idea of obedience, right? Yes. And I think that in our notes here, we have this slide here on obedience. But I would like to just maybe mention for a moment this idea of progressive revelation follows progressive obedience, Progressive revelation follows progressive obedience. Now, we see here in this passage that when the Lord is moving in Philip's life, that God's purpose is not to camp out in the revival, but to receive fresh direction for leveraging God's purposes for your life. How many of you know God has a specific purpose for your life? Amen. And Amen. how many of you know that that purpose isn't just connected to you soaking up as much of Jesus as you possibly can, but that purpose is connected to you releasing as much of Jesus through your life to a hurting and broken world around you, Amen. right? Amen. Now, I love this idea here because can I remind you today that God is never stagnant. Amen. When Hallelujah. you read the New Testament, you will quickly discover one thing about Jesus Christ. He's always on the move. Amen. He's Hallelujah. always on the move. He moves outside the traditions of men. He moves outside the religious institutions of the Pharisees. He's always seeking to find the hurting, the least, the last, and the lost, Amen. right? Now, here's the crux of the matter. When the angel speaks to Philip, I believe the question we have to ask is this. Will Philip move with God or will he stay in what is comfortable? And I would also suggest today that even though we know the answer to this question, that this question isn't just for Philip. This question is for you and me. Will you stay in what is comfortable or will you follow the direction of where the Spirit of God is leading. And so here we see this idea of Philip answering with obedience. So we said progressive revelation follows progressive obedience. Now, I like this idea a lot because to me, so often when it comes to this idea of God's purpose, what do we say? We say, Lord, if you'll show me what you're going to do five years from now, then I'll follow you. Lord, if you'll show me what door you're going to open, then I'll go through it. Lord, if you'll show me the outcome, then I will be diligent and faithful to walk out all the steps from A to Z. And how many of us know when you've walked with Jesus for a certain period of time, you quickly discover that's just not how God works. Amen. How God works is he gives you just enough of almost like a breadcrumb to kind of lead you to the next step. <laughs> and then he says, if you're faithful in that progressive obedience of what I'm putting in your heart, then I'll show you the next step. Amen. Some of us here in this place today, we've been praying and asking the Lord, Lord, what's, What's coming three years from now? Lord, what's coming six months from now? And the Lord's saying, nope, that's not how I'm going to do it. You have to be obedient just to take the next step. You have to be obedient just to go through the door that I'm opening right in front of you in this next season of your life. Right? So this idea of progressive revelation following progressive obedience. We often want God to give us the whole picture for the next season of our lives at one time. But we know that that's not how God operates. And we see that in this story with Philip. 
the Lord speaks to Philip from an angel and says, hey, will you go to Gaza? And he says, yeah, I will. And once he gets to Gaza, what happens? Then the Spirit says, hey, run up alongside that chariot. And so now we have the Holy Spirit giving him the next step. But he still doesn't know what to do. And as he's running through the desert, you can imagine, I read online through some Bible commentators that the average temperature is somewhere between 95 and 105 degrees. And from what we know, it's probably the middle of the day. And so he's jogging in the middle of the wilderness. You can imagine in the July day, in uh, Oklahoma heat. That's kind of what's going on here. And he's waiting. Okay, Lord, now what's the next step? I heard the angel. I went down to Gaza. I heard your spirit say, run up next to the chariot. What do I do now? And then he hears with his ears, this man reading a passage from the book of Isaiah. And he goes, aha, bingo. I know what the next step is. I kind of like to look at it like a detective uh, mystery. Did any of you ever read Sherlock Holmes growing up? Yeah. Man, I used to love Sherlock Holmes. I'm kind of analytically wired. And, but I used to love this idea of Sherlock would walk into a room and pick up on a clue that everybody else missed, right? Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to me. He would like pick up the shoes or something and he would see some ash or some suit on the bottom of the shoe and he would know that the shoes had been near the chimney. And so he'd go near to the chimney and he'd reach his hand up the chimney and he'd find some secret clue that everybody else had missed even though the entire police force had been in that same room they overlooked it because they weren't looking for the clues and i think so often in our lives we miss it because we walk into the room and we start comparing what god's doing with how he's moving in other people's lives yeah and we say well god led pastor les to do a b and c therefore god has to lead me to a b and c or god said through that preacher that god did this over there at that church therefore god must be obliged no that's not how god works god has an individualized plan and purpose for each one of our lives and it's necessary for us to begin to adopt a posture and a attitude of being attentive, receptive, and watching and listening for what the little clues are that he's laying out in front of us, right? Obedience. Obedience is so important. You know, sometimes when we talk about obedience, we focus on the negative side of it, right? What do I mean by that? We say, well, if you don't obey God, then you're going to get hit by lightning and your car's going to have a flat tire and your job's going to, you know, and we focus on this kind of stuff. Or if you don't obey God, then you know what's going to happen is, you know, and of course in scripture, we know that if we don't obey God, that there are some really, really bad things that happen. But for just for a moment, flip it around. What is the positive outcome of when God's people begin to obey God? What would happen today instead of you making an excuse and saying, you know what, I just can't do it. That's pastor's job or that's his job or that's her job or I grew up on the wrong side of the track so I grew up on the right side of the track or I'm this or I'm that or I'm two or I'm that what if we just started saying yes yes and we started saying you know what Lord if that's what you're leading me to do even though I don't know the full picture I can't see the full plan I'm just gonna start taking some yes. baby steps Amen. and begin to see what God's going to do and I love to look at this passage of scripture and see the outcome is that and we're gonna get there in a moment an entire nation in Africa that had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ is impacted because one person was willing to go look like a crazy man running through the wilderness in the middle of the tropical, well, not tropical, but the heat of the wilderness, right? Yeah. What would happen in your life three years from now if you just kept saying yes? What would your life look like five years from now if you just kept saying, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Yes, Lord. Does it make any sense? It's not what you're doing in pastor's life. It's not what you're doing in their life or mom's life or dad's life. But Lord, I'm just going to keep saying yes. What would your life look like? I love the story of Pastor Chiza. Could you throw up that picture? He's one of our church planters that we work with in Burundi. And he's a really awesome guy. He's one of my uh, really close friends. And it's been really uh, fun just to watch how God's led him because his story goes something like this. 
Pastor Chiza was selling banana beer in Burundi. Yes, banana beer is a thing. <laughs> I didn't know it was a thing either, but he's selling banana beer. And as he's selling it, he hears a voice speaking to him and he doesn't know the Lord. He's obviously not a Christian. He hears a voice saying, hey, get rid of the beer. Go down to the church. Give your life to me. I have a plan for your life. And you know what he does? In his condition of selling banana beer, he goes, you know what? I don't think that the banana beer would tell me to go down and give my life to the Lord. So this must be God. So I'm going to go down to the church and I'm actually going to give my life to Jesus. And so he does it. He goes down to the church, surrenders his life. He gets discipled. He gets um, a call on his life. And he's, the call on his life is to become a church planter. And so he goes through our church planting school that Pastor uh, alluded to already. And he moves to a place called Gihanga. And he feels like the Lord speaks to him and tells him, if you will keep obeying me, I'm going to use your life to plant many churches. And so he plants the church in Gihanga. It grows from about 30 people to 50 people to 70 people to 100 people to 150 people. He's feeling pretty good about himself. I planted this church. You know, I used to be selling banana beer. And the Lord comes and speaks to him and says, I didn't call you to plant one church. I called you to plant many churches. What are you doing? And so he resigns his church, turns it over to another guy that he had raised up. He moves down the road to a place called Chibitoke. Do you know what Chibitoke means in the Kirundi language? It means the place of bananas. How many of you know that God has a sense of humor? The man who used to sell banana beer is now preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the place of bananas. The church in Chibitoke takes off 50, 100, 150, 200. God says, I didn't call you to plant two churches. I called you to plant many churches. So he goes down to the street to a place called Nyeshenza, and then he goes to Giharuro, and then he goes to Musenyi, and then he goes up to Bubanza. And the last 18 months, he's planted more than five churches. Come on, somebody. What happens when we say yes and begin to obey? Remember, progressive Revelation always follows progressive obedience. Some of you are stuck in a rut in this place today and you're waiting on a word from God and the word from God is this. There's no new word. Go back and obey the last thing that he told you because you are in disobedience and if you will start obeying again, then the revelation and the breakthrough will come in your life. Amen. Now, I love this story so much because I also see this idea of The necessity of spirit-empowered evangelism. Remember, we said the title of the message today was Obedience, Evangelism, and the Nations. Now, by evangelism, I'm going to talk about this idea of communicating the gospel in ways people can understand that leads to harvest. Okay, (coughs) Communicating the gospel in ways people can understand that leads to harvest. Now, can I just make a observation this morning. When I used that word evangelism, many of you immediately checked out. (laughs) Even in the title, many of you are like, that's not for me. I am not an evangelist, right? I am not involved in evangelistic campaigns. I've never been on a stage. I know nothing about all of the right songs to say or all of the right words or all of the um, entrapments that surround evangelism. So when I use that word evangelism, I think I lost half of you already. (laughs) Now, what I love about this passage so much to me today is that Acts chapter 8 is going to change the narrative of what evangelism looks like. It's not to say that there aren't moments when there's the big meeting, because there are. We saw that in Acts chapter 2, when you see the story about Peter. You see it in Acts chapter 4, when he stands up and preaches to everyone in the temple courts. There are these moments when there's these large meetings, when people gather together, and the purpose of the meeting is to communicate the gospel of Christ. But Acts chapter 8 is going to come along and change the narrative, change our mindset, and say, that's not the only way that evangelism happens. In fact, 
That's not the usual way that evangelism happens. And what you're going to see depicted for us here in Acts chapter 8 is that there is no crowd, no special music, no special introduction. There's not even a sanctuary. No one has a microphone. There's not a mixer board. Nobody's watching on Facebook Live. There's no video stream. The only thing that is going on is that there are two men traveling down a hot, dry, bumpy desert road. Yeah. Are you guys tracking this morning? Yeah, come on. Evangelism. And this is what Luke, the author of Acts, is going to try to help us understand. Forget Jerusalem, forget Peter, forget the temple courts, forget the big flashy, you know, ostentatious presentation of what we've made evangelism in America. Instead, return evangelism back to the idea of one-on-one, regular life, person-to-person, friend-to-friend, interaction with interaction. Amen. Now, I see such a metaphor here for what your life looks like and what my life looks like. How many of you have ever felt like you're bumping down a dirty desert road in life? I mean, that to me describes so much of what my life looks like. Not just because I ride the roads in Africa, which is a free African massage, right? But because so often in life, there are these bumps along the way, these jostles, these these irritations, these agitations, and we have to begin to reframe that instead of that being something to be avoided, to begin to look at that as being some kind of an opportunity and a setup that God wants to use to bring people into our lives. And so in this story, we have an important detail that I think it's easy to overlook. Did you see Acts chapter 8 kept talking about this eunuch, right? Now, some of us here, you say, what in the world is a eunuch and why is it important? And I think that if we're not careful, we're going to miss the fact that Luke is giving us a clear picture of what's really going on in people's lives when they meet Jesus. This guy's in a chariot. We know that he's a royal official. So this would put him in the top 1% of his generation. And so we would think if there's ever somebody that has their life together, it's the guy bumping along the dust you know, the desert road. He's, he's good. He's got money. He's got position. He's got status. He's got a title. He's got a mission. He's good. He's good. And what we're going to discover in this story is no, actually he's not good. Actually, there's something going on deep in the recesses of his heart and mind, a question that he's wrestling with that he hasn't been able to find an answer to, right? So we look at this story and what's interesting about a eunuch is that if you look at the Old Testament, according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, The Bible was actually pretty clear about the um, rules surrounding a eunuch's engagement with the presence of God. The word of God says, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Okay, now I'm not going to go into all the details, but a eunuch qualifies as one who has been emasculated. All right. So the idea here is that the eunuch was disqualified from encountering the presence of God. Now, you say, well, why is, that, why, is that inter- why is that important? Because according to the Old Testament, he had no right to enter the temple of the Lord. But the passage tells us that he has just come from Jerusalem to worship. Now, where did the Jewish people worship in that day? Someone help me. The temple. Yeah. And the Deuteronomy just told us that he has no access to the temple because he's been emasculated. Right. Now, begin to put two and two together here. And I would suggest today that this man is struggling with incredible rejection. Incredible rejection. He makes this trip of several hundred miles from the middle of 
Ethiopia or Sudan to worship God. And instead of having this incredible God encounter that he had longed for for his whole life, he either pretends to be someone that he's not in order to sneak into the temple or he is legitimately barred from entering this assembly because of something that had happened to him that he had no control over. You want to talk about injustice. You want to talk about rejection. You want to talk about pain. You want to talk about hurt. You want to talk about something inside of him that made him feel like a spiritual outcast. Now, can I make this observation today that some of us here today may be feeling the sting of rejection. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I can be honest before you today and say that in my life, I have dealt greatly with rejection. Yeah. And at times what rejection does is rejection pushes you away from the very God that wants to encounter you and heal your heart. Things were done to you or said about you that erected an invisible barrier in your heart and mind that prevents you from ever fully entering God's presence. But can I remind you the good news today? The good news is that the message of the gospel is one of barriers being broken and pulled down, right? This is to say that the wall of hostility between God and humanity has been brought down in the person of Christ. This is to say that the wall of relational separation caused by sin has been canceled at the cross of Jesus Christ. This is today to say that the wall of racial separation where only Jews were allowed to access God's presence has been knocked flat on its face and now there is is access to anyone who anywhere who will come and receive the good news about Jesus Christ. And so I look at this passage and it's almost like God can't stand to see someone so close to encountering him turned away. So what does God do? He sends Philip. And remember, we're talking about evangelism, right? He sends him out into the desert to track him down. Now back to Acts chapter eight. And let me say this. This is where the story gets really good. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is where it gets good. This is where it gets good. The eunuch hasn't given up on his hunger for God in his heart. I love that he's running down. He's walking down. He's going through the, on the chariot in the wilderness in this chariot. And what is he doing? Somebody help me. What is he reading? Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. Okay. Now, this is crazy to me because if you don't understand the, 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 the backstory, you don't understand what is being communicated to him. Right. And unbelievably, Philip runs up exactly at the moment that this guy is reading Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. So just just, just visualize this for a moment. So Philip's in the middle of the desert. The spirit says, hey, run over there by that chariot. Okay, so we know he's running. He doesn't know the guy in the chariot. Can you imagine somebody running down Memorial next to a car? Hey, what are you doing in your car over there? Well, I'm reading the book of Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? No, but why are you running down Memorial? Don't worry about it. The spirit told me to, right? I mean, you'd be like, this person is like crazy, right? Okay, and so this is the kind of, this is what's going on. And he hears at the exact moment. Somebody say divine timing. Divine timing. We never know what God has already orchestrated in someone's life at the point in which we start to interact with them. So often all we do is we read the outside. And we say, well, you know, this person's six foot three. They're as skinny as a rail. I'm talking about myself, right? You know, that person looks like that or that. But you don't know what's going on in somebody's heart. That's right. And this guy has just been rejected. He's gone to Jerusalem to encounter the presence of God. And because he's a eunuch, he's not allowed to do so. And now he's coming back. He's reading Isaiah. Luke is going to tell us he's reading Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. What does that say? It says, now listen to this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. 
Do you know that those two verses are describing the rejection of Christ by the Jewish people? Isaiah says he was deprived of justice and he has no descendants. Remember, a eunuch is someone who has been emasculated. A eunuch has zero chance of having any descendants. So in that moment, as he's reading these two verses, at that particular perfect, divinely orchestrated timing, Philip runs up and says, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy's heart is exploding inside of him. You ever have one of those moments when your heart is exploding inside of you? And he's like, No, but I'm rejected. I have no hope of descendants there's no there's no opportunity in my life but who is he talking about because i identify with this guy yeah are you understanding evangelism here a little bit better yeah this isn't so much about what we do as much as what god is doing in people's lives right something happens in that moment and the rejected african eunuch's heart becomes alive as he realizes that 800 years before that moment in the chariot in the Gazan wilderness, a prophet named Isaiah had talked about a suffering Messiah that would understand his brokenness, his injustice, and his heartache. Oh, come on, somebody. How many of you are thankful that Jesus knows right where you are today? He knows right what is going on inside your heart and your life. He knows the rejection that you have endured. He knows the shame that some of you are walking in. He knows the brokenheartedness that some of you walked in when you came into this place today. He understands some of the, some of the depths that the, of lies and deception that the enemy is trying to put over your minds and over your lives. And he knows how to meet you right where you are. Evangelism, evangelism, evangelism. Now, I'm going to say this. Much of our obedience in this life is going to be Jesus directing us towards hurting people. Remember we said evangelism is just one-on-one, meeting people in the bumpy, uncomfortable, out-of-the-way moments of life. Now, some of us are going to say, yeah, but I don't know how to do evangelism. Okay, that's fair. Let's look at it very briefly. Three quick steps for doing evangelism. Can we put these on the... Screen up here. Awesome. Three steps for evangelism. Number one, Philip builds a relational bridge. Okay. Let me ask you a question. How many of you can say hi to someone? Can you raise your hand to me? Okay. Is that okay? Is that, is that difficult? You know, like people always ask me, how do you do evangelism? This is how I do evangelism. Hi. What's your name? James. James. Nice to meet you. Was that, was that too difficult? I don't think it was, right? And what we see happening here is all that Philip knows how to do is take the next step, right? We talked about progressive revelation is um, conditioned by uh, progressive obedience. And so what Philip is doing is he's running up next to the chariot and he's building this relational bridge with this guy, right? He's trying to figure out what is this guy interested in? Oh, this guy's reading the book of Isaiah. Oh, I see. I know something about the book of Isaiah. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to find some means of connecting with other people who honestly are going to be very, very different from you. How many of you know so often we want evangelism to happen cookie cutter carbon copy of me and that's just not how the world works. Our world has changed so significantly in the last 20 years. Did you know that in the last year Oklahoma is the number three site for resettling Afghani refugees in all of the United States of America? We have more than 2,000 Afghani families in this state, more than 1,000 Afghani refugees in this city, right? 
The Hispanic populations are coming to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Broken Arrow has one of the highest Iranian populations anywhere in the United States. What is happening in the day and age in that we're living is that God is bringing the nations of the yes. world to our backyard. Yes, amen. Pastor, I used to travel and, you know, 20 or 15 years ago, I'd come into a church and I was the missionary. And people were like, oh, the missionary. You're the guy who goes to Africa. We're the people who stay here in Tulsa so that we can be in our nice, comfortable places where we've always been. And I think what God is doing is going, nope, it doesn't work like that anymore. Now your very neighbors are going to be people from the nations of the world. I'm bringing them into your backyard. Yes. Welcome to America in 2022. Amen. Now you have a challenge here. You have a decision here. You can say, well, I don't like it. I wish they'd build a bigger wall. I wish we'd have stricter immigration laws and all that political stuff. And I, I'm not a politician, so I'm not commenting on that. I'm commenting on the spiritual aspect yes. of being sons and daughters of a different kingdom, Amen. right? A kingdom Amen. of heaven. And so what I know is this. If God is bringing people to here, to the United States, whether or whether or not they're legal i can't comment on that what i know is that i have an yes. obligation and a responsibility to share jesus Hallelujah. christ with them right Hallelujah. that's our calling amen that's our calling if you want to understand evangelism what evangelism looks like is giving people the opportunity to encounter this god who knows exactly what's going on in their lives amen. so build a relational bridge number two this idea is ask a spiritual question how many of you know how to ask a question Right? Yeah. I love this. You say, well, what do I do next? After I build it? Ask a question. Hey, what, what do you think about God? And you know, anything could come out of their mouth, and that's fine. Let anything come out of their mouth. Your job isn't to try and coach them on what they just let them start talking. At some point, what you're doing is you're looking for an opportunity to make a connection with them. What do you think about what do you think about church? Well, I think they're a bunch awesome. of hypocrites, and I think blah blah blah. That's fine. Let them talk. You just now begin to allow them to open up their hearts, and you now have an opportunity to build trust with this person, right? What do you think? What what what, what happens when you die? What a great question. These are, these are questions that God has put inside everybody's heart, right? And yeah. so, what I think what Philip does here is ingenious. He goes, hey. Remember, he's running. Can you imagine the sweat coming down his face? He's like, hey, somebody give me a bottle of water. I'm about to pass out here. He's, he's gasping. And he's like, do you understand what you're reading? What a great question. The guy's like, no, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't have a clue, right? And I love it because it's so simple. It's so practical. It's, so, it's not Philip. Well, the, the Lord says you need to repent of your sins and give your life. He think, he's not ready for that. No. He, what he's ready for in that moment is to have a relationship with somebody That's who's right. willing to ask him a question. That's right. Are you guys tracking this morning? Amen. This is evangelism. This is what the church is called to. I had no idea when I walked in this morning what you guys had been up to on Wednesday nights. Pastor was sharing 10 minutes before service start, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is why the Lord put this message on my heart. Some of you are saying, why are we going out into the community on a Wednesday night? We should be gathering together, having Bibles. We used to have revival. We were a church known as revival. Yeah, you were known as church known as revival, but that's not what God's doing in this season. What God's doing in this season is he's saying, hey, greater heights, it's time for something different. Amen. He's saying, hey, greater heights, Amen. it's time for us to leave the nice, comfortable revival where we were and to go out into the wilderness and to find people on an individual, one-on-one -on -one basis, begin to build re um, relationships with them, begin to ask them spiritual questions. And then number three, uh, this is the last step I'll give you here. Philip shares the gospel. You say, well, how do I do that? Just tell him your story. You say, well, what if they ask something that I don't know the answer to? Then tell me you don't know the answer to it. That's right. <laughs> that happens to me a lot. People ask me a question. Hey, Steve, what about, you know, in Malachi chapter 3, there's this version. I'm like, I don't know. But I'll try to find out and I'll get back to you. I think that's honest. 
I think that's integrous, right? Yeah. And so I think these are three simple steps. You're definitely going to meet people that don't come from a, a Judeo-Christian background in this community. You're definitely going to meet people who aren't believers. That's great. Let them ask their questions. Let them push back. And then you say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm so glad you asked. And I just want to thank you for being honest. Can we pray together? And I'll get back to you at some other point about your question. I don't know anybody who's going to say, well, you know, you're just trying to blow me off. I don't think some people understand when we're trying to be genuine. Amen. I love this story here about uh, Pastor Bosco. Remember, we're talking about evangelism. And Pastor Bosco is a really remarkable guy. Um, he's one, another one of my friends that we church plant with. He's about to plant a church in Eastern Congo. Hopefully in the next two to three weeks, we've been working with him. And I, I, he's, he's Congolese by birth, and his dad was actually a, uh, a witch doctor. And so from the time he was a little kid, uh, he was trained in the ideas of becoming a, you know, spiritual person with no connection to Jesus, just like black magic, black arts, that kind of stuff. And when he's in Congo as a kid, he hears the gospel, okay? And he says, wow, this is great news. He gives his life to Jesus, but he has no discipleship. So I'm not here just advocating that, you know, we just shared Jesus with people, but no relational. But there has to be the ongoing interaction and community with people that allows for accountability and discussion so people can grow in their faith, right? Yeah. And what's interesting about Pastor Bosco is as he's practicing black magic and trying to mix it with Christianity, he gets invited to move to Burundi for a better life. So he goes to Burundi. In Burundi, he discovers that people will pay a lot of money for his... Um, sorcery skills, for lack of a better word, right? And so in Burundi, he turns away from his, you know, small little faith in Jesus. He still thinks Jesus is a good person, but now he's fully committed to sorcery, and he hears about Islam, and so he actually becomes a Muslim. So now we have a strange mix on our hands. We have a guy who knows a little bit about Jesus, who's practicing um, sorcery, who's a confessing Muslim. And there's a guy, a brother in Gitega, in the capital of Burundi, who goes to one of the churches that we helped plant about 15 years ago. And he says, hey, well, why don't you come to church with me? And he says, well, you know, I'm, I'm a Muslim. He goes, well, that's okay. Jesus loves Muslims too. Why don't you come to church with me? And he goes, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a sorcerer. So that's okay. Jesus loves sorcerers too. Why don't you come to church with me? And so he finally accepts and goes to church because he has that little much, you know, remembrance of what it was with Jesus. So he starts going to church. You say, well, did he give his life to the Lord on the first Sunday? No, he did not. It took months of him being invited to church and invited to church and invited to church and being loved on and being loved on. And then one day, boom, it clicked. And he surrenders his life to Christ. He gets gloriously saved, not only saved, but baptized with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. He receives a call from the Lord on his life to plant churches. And he is now on his way to Eastern Congo to a place called Uvira to plant a brand new church in the next couple of weeks. You say, Praise what's the, the point? The point is you don't know what's going on in people's lives. This is Tulsa, Oklahoma. Almost everybody in Tulsa, Oklahoma knows about Jesus, right? Yes. I know about Jesus because I grew up in church. I know about Jesus because my my grandma was a Christian. I know about Jesus. Blah, 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 blah. So what? That's where people are at. Just keep loving on them. Keep inviting Amen. them. And you never know at what point Jesus is going to break in and change people's Amen. hearts and lives. Amen. 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 And so we have this beautiful picture here of evangelism. We've read 14 verses together from Acts chapter 8. But unless you were following along very, very closely, you probably didn't realize that verse 37 was missing. Most versions of our Bibles don't include verse 37 because they think it was added later to represent the early church's requirement for someone to be saved. Notice with me, can you throw up verse 37 there? I think it's in the notes. This is the missing verse of Acts chapter 8, verse 37 here. 
Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Notice with me that this verse follows Paul's formula for salvation found in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Yes. For if you confess with your mouth, that's what the eunuch is doing. He's confessing with his mouth. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, right? Amen. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, if you believe. And so we see this, 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 this dual interaction taking place where Paul is laying out what are the requirements for salvation. The requirements for salvation are simple. If you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you will be saved. I don't know today. I assume everybody in here is a believer. But if you're not a believer today and you're wondering, well, how do I get my life right with God? And how do I experience Jesus? And how do I have a personal relationship with him? And how do I even hear his voice? You're talking about all these people hearing God's voice. How does that happen? Well, it happens according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you believe in your heart... And confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Bible promises that you will be saved. And that's the missing verse that we see here in Acts chapter 8. Is that the the eunuch confesses and says, man, that's me. I believe with all my heart. I confess it. One final story here. This is the story of Pastor Buturu. And how many of you know when a missionary from Africa says that that's their final story? It doesn't mean anything, right? (laughs) All right, just checking. Okay. That's a joke, by the way. The story of uh, Pastor Buturo, and I love this one because it illustrates just the simplicity of someone coming to know faith, someone coming to know Jesus. Pastor Buturo was a rebel fighter. So Burundi, if you know anything about Burundi, when I've spoken here before, Burundi and Rwanda were involved in all kinds of ethnic uh, genocide and political trouble as early as you know the 1970s, but there were these pockets of it. And so one of the most Uh, Recent escalations in the mid-90s, he takes off to uh, the jungles of Congo to begin to try to fight to overturn the government. He does despicable, deplorable things that we won't even talk about because he's a rebel soldier in the middle of the uh, jungles of Africa. And when the government finally stabilizes a little bit, he moves back to his hometown in Bambarangwe, Burundi. Try and sell that to your neighbor and they'll think that you're praying in tongues, okay? <laughs> Bambarangwe, Burundi. And so in Bambarangwe, Burundi, he moves back and the government hears that he was a rebel fighter and they go and arrest him. They put him in jail. Now, for those of us who don't know, if you get put in jail in a Burundian prison cell, you don't have long to live, okay? It's just kind of like this given, like it, particularly if you were uh, involved in anything against the government, there's not much chance for you. And he had grown up in a quasi-Christian home. He didn't know Jesus personally, but he'd heard mom and dad talk about Jesus. And so while he's in prison, he begins to ask these questions and spiritual questions because he knows that he doesn't have much time left. And he knows his days are numbered. And desperately, as he's searching for hope, one night he hears a voice speak to him while he's sleeping. And the voice says, turn to me and I will turn to you. But if you don't turn to me, I won't turn to you. He wakes up and he goes, oh my goodness, I think this was the Lord. He knew of one other believer in the prison. He went and asked him, what do you think this is? He says, I think this is Jesus speaking to you. I think this is your opportunity to get your life right. He says, if it happens again, you need to repent. And so the next day, he amazingly, the story repeats itself. 
the voice speaks to him. And this time around, he gets on his knees. He humbles himself. He accepts Jesus Christ. He confesses with his mouth, believes in his heart. And through an amazing, miraculous turn of events, he gets released from prison. And he knows that the only thing that he can do in response to this is go back to Bambarangwe, Burundi. And he goes back to Bambarangwe, plants the church, and begins to preach Jesus in the community. What I love about this guy is he was so committed to church planting that as they were building the church and he's mobilizing people in the church to build the building, they ran out of money and they didn't have enough money for the uh, iron sheet roofing. And so he goes home to his house because nobody else in the community would contribute. And he takes the iron sheets off of his own home and carries them down the street back to the church to put them on the building. Come on, somebody. That's when you know Jesus has got a hold of your heart. Is when you become so generous and so committed to the church going forward that you're willing to engage in personal sacrifice. The cool story is that we're actually putting a school in right there in Bambarangwe, Burundi. As we speak, the roof is going on. Hopefully the school will be done by September and it will open the doors for the entire community of Bambarangwe, Burundi to begin to come and their kids can be educated and they can learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, to God be the glory. I love telling that story. So we've talked about obedience. We've talked about evangelism. And we will close with the nations. And I promise I really am done. How many will give me five more minutes? Can I see your hand? Yeah. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. Okay, we're great. We'll be here till two o'clock in the afternoon. It's all good. It's all good, right? So we look here at this idea of the nations. And I'm going to put in your notes, God's heart always reaches beyond our comfort zone. God's heart always reaches beyond our comfort zone. Please notice with me one final aspect of this passage. Up to this point in the book of Acts, the gospel has been reserved for the Jewish people and for a few Hellenized Jews. You say, what are Hellenized Jews? Those were people who grew up in a Greek culture, in a Greek context to embrace the Jewish faith. Okay, So the gospel has been reserved for these two groups of people. But in Acts chapter 8, something very, very interesting is happening. Don't miss this. In Acts chapter 8, this is the first time that a Gentile is going to be brought into the story. Now push pause because some of you are thinking, wait, I thought that was Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And yes, Luke is going to make a big deal out of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. But Cornelius is actually not the first Gentile. The first Gentile to be brought into the kingdom and into the gospel in the book of Acts is the Ethiopian eunuch. You say, what's the point? The point is that God was so committed even before the gospel got to Europe and even before the gospel came to America and even before the gospel went to other parts of the world, God ensured that the gospel would get to the heart of Africa. Oh, hallelujah. That fires me up because I'm a missionary in Africa, right? But I love to think about this idea of the Gentiles. The Gentiles is the Greek word, the ethne. Ethne is where we get the English word ethnic groups. Did you know there's about 15,000 ethnic groups on planet Earth today? Did you know that among the 15,000 ethnic groups, they say ethnologists, people who study this, they tell us there's about 7,000 distinct languages on planet Earth right now. More than 3 billion people still have never had adequate representation and communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, and when I say church, that means you and me. My wife and I like to put it this way. The whole purpose of the whole church is to take the whole gospel to the whole world. Can I say it again? The whole purpose of the whole church is to take the whole gospel to the whole world. If you're here today and you know Jesus, if you confess him as your Lord and Savior, you're part of the whole church. Therefore, your responsibility and assignment is to take the whole gospel 
to the whole world, right? And I think that's what we're talking about today, where it's a season here at Greater Heights where God's no longer saying it's, it's, it's enough just to stay within the four walls of our building. Amen. What God is saying is, I have brought the nations of the world to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I mean, this blows my mind. You don't have to get a passport. You don't have to get a COVID test. You don't have to be vaccinated. You don't have to get a QR code from the Ministry of Health. I mean, if I told you the steps of what we have to do in order to get to some of these places, it's mind-boggling. And what God's doing is he's bringing them right to our backyard. Amen. And he's saying now is a season and an uh, hour where yeah, every uh, single person has the opportunity to be Philip communicating the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. Would you stand this morning as we pray? Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I've I've tried to share it as... um, Simply as you put it in my heart today. And Lord, where I have succeeded in that, I pray that it would resonate in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, this is your word. It's not mine. This is your direction. It's not mine. This is your mission. It's not mine. This is your kingdom. It's not mine. And so, Lord, once again, we come back to this place of being reminded that the church is so much bigger than 573, 574 North Memorial. That Lord, the church is your global purpose and your global economy for bringing the nations of the world into the glorious understanding and relationship that Jesus loves them and that Jesus has a plan and purpose for their lives. Before we pray specifically, every head bowed and eye closed. Is there anyone here today? I don't know, maybe we're already believers, but I don't wanna let this opportunity slide. You're here and you'd say, Steve, you know what? I'm not a believer this morning or I'm backslid. I'm like Pastor Bosco. I knew about Jesus, but I've dabbled in witchcraft. I've dabbled in um, this or that or the other. I just need to surrender my life to Jesus again. Is that anybody here before before we pray? Would you just slip up your hand? I just want to give you that opportunity. Anybody? Slip up your hand. Okay, we're just going to believe today that everyone is a believer. Lord, we thank you for your word spoken to us today. And Lord, I believe that this is a this is this is such a this is such an exciting time to be at Greater Heights. Lord, what you're doing is you're releasing a vision and a mandate and a purpose and a calling over this church to engage this neighborhood, to engage engage this area of Tulsa. And so, Lord, I just pray for anyone here today who may be heavy or discouraged, saying, well, you know, our church just doesn't have as many people as it used to, or we're just not. No, this, I just feel such excitement in my spirit today. And so, Lord, I just pray that that same excitement would be contagious, that, Lord, it would, it would spread to every single heart and every single life. And then, Lord, there would be this, this vision, this, 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 this sense of buy-in, this sense of commitment that, hey, God's doing something fresh. God's taking us out of the revival and he's taking us into the into the desert of Gaza because there's some Philips who are about to come into the kingdom. Oh, come on, somebody. Yeah. Lord, we thank you that there are some Philips right here in this neighborhood that are about to meet Jesus. And so, Lord, we just pray that, Lord, every single person, Lord, in our midst, Lord, that we would have the courage that we need to build some relational bridges. That, Lord, we'd, we'd be willing to stretch out a hand and ask somebody how they're doing and ask some questions and at the right time share the gospel message and so I just pray Lord for a spirit of evangelism I pray oh God for a spirit oh God that would move us out of our comfort zone and move us across the paths of other people who are hurting and even though they may look like they have everything together that 
Jesus, you would use our lives to meet the real need of what's going on in their hearts. Would you just uh, lift up your hands with me today in the presence of the Lord, if you're willing to, and say, what are we doing? We're basically saying, Lord, we're available and we're willing to be used of you moving forward. So, Lord, you see the hands, you see the hearts. Lord, you see the desires, you see the longings. Lord, we long for this place to be full, full. but Lord, even if this place isn't full, we're good, Lord, with the parking lot being full. Lord, we're good with people's houses being full. We're good with whatever it is that you want to do. We're not going to try and put you in a box and tell you that it has to look this way or it has to look that way. But what we are going to say is that, Jesus, we are available. Lord, we're going to say that we want to be obedient. Lord, forgive us where we've been where we've been, where we've been stubborn at times. I know I have. And Lord, you've been speaking to me about the importance of just sharing my faith one-on-one with people. And so, Lord, we just pray for courage. We pray for boldness. We pray, Lord, for your spirit and your presence and your power to be released in and through our lives. And we ask that together as a body, that Lord, you would use us to serve people that maybe don't look anything like us, maybe don't even talk like us, but that Lord, they would understand that Jesus is real and that his love is great in and through our hearts and our lives. We bless your name for this. We thank you for this. If you're in agreement with this prayer, would you say amen this morning? Amen. Amen.